So Savannah, I want to start with you, and I'm so glad that you're here. So you grew up in the foster care system, is I that did. correct? Yeah, I did. And you bounced mm -hmm. around a little bit, and um, I'm assuming that it was a rough road. Uh, your childhood was rough going was into rough. the foster care system. Mm -hmm. um, when, you, when you're in that kind of situation, what was the biggest thing for you? Like, did, did you feel... Um, lonely, abandoned, I mean, what was that yeah, like? Yeah, a lot of times we feel like we're not good enough or that we're not loved enough or wanted, so loneliness definitely comes yeah. in those kinds of situations. So to fast forward in your story, a year ago today, you had a, a very important moment occur. Mm -hmm. You were telling me that you had a boyfriend in your life and things went south in that relationship. Mm -hmm. it, tell us what was going on. It was just an unhealthy relationship and I... Um, I stayed with him for a while, and, and he had gotten himself into some trouble. And that was kind of uh, my opportunity to get out of that situation. Now, you had shared uh, previously, before we started here, that you were praying, mm -hmm. and you could see the way things were going, and, yes. it, and you didn't want it for you, and you have two girls as well, right? Yes, I have two beautiful girls. I have um, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Mm. And in that situation, I was just praying for God to help give me some guidance to get out of that situation and for it to have happened the way that it did, it was kind of like God answering that prayer, like, okay, I help now. Even the it timing was, of us recording this yeah. is amazing and it yeah. gives me goosebumps because a year ago today, he ended up in trouble. Yeah. You said you went and got a U-Haul yes. and uh, you headed uh, off in that U-Haul with your girls. Mm -hmm. Where did you go? I went to a homeless shelter. I was actually there for for a while and um, just trying to get back up on my feet, mm -hmm. get out of that bad situation. And uh, you were pregnant? I was at pregnant. At the time? With, yeah. And so you um, started feeling not so good and what happened after that? I was actually uh, on my way to an appointment. I had walked there and so I was getting abdominal pain and I went to urgent care just to make sure that the baby was okay. And they told me they didn't have any OBGYN uh, equipment to check to see if the baby was okay and that they would need to call uh, 911 to have a transfer from uh, urgent care to the hospital. Yeah, so in our city, when someone calls 911, they get the fire department and an ambulance. Uh, on that particular day, it mm -hmm. seemed like a, just another routine call. It was over to the urgent care, and it was a transfer from the urgent care over to the emergency room. Okay. We got there, and the ambulance was already there, and they said, hey, guys, we got it, and you guys can cancel. But I felt a holy nudge to stay there. I felt like I was supposed to be there. I, I was introduced to Savannah. They're already doing an assessment on her. And um, I'm just kind of standing off in the back. Uh, there was another paramedic already there doing, taking care of the treatment, taking care of the assessment. And I was just remaining on scene because of Nicole and I's uh, past history. I felt like I had a connection with this woman that was in this um, exam room. Mm -hmm. I saw my wife sitting there in a way because we spent countless times at urgent cares with previous miscarriages, dealing with infertility, and just seeing the insensitivity uh, 
that we've personally experienced. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that didn't happen for yeah. her. So after we had Macy, so she just she's seven. So she was about a year old, and we started trying for more babies, and um, we couldn't get pregnant. And um, through like infertility doctors and everything, we found out that we couldn't have any more biological children. Yeah. Mm. Um, with no answers, which I think was even harder. Yeah. So um, after we found up uh, through like infertility, um, you just kind of question why God placed a desire in your heart right. so strong, but doesn't follow through or you know, answer your prayers. Or yeah. And I think you hit on that. something really important. The, maybe we say theologically that um, there's there's mysteries in this life, questions that we all have about mm -hmm. God's timing or why certain prayers seem to get answered relatively quickly and others don't. Mm -hmm. And we all know the verse in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good mm -hmm. to those who love him. But it doesn't mean that everything in our lives is good but God has a way of working a tapestry mm -hmm. together. So a year ago today, you guys made a decision. And what was that decision that you made? That we were going to adopt. So it's something that we've always had on our hearts. Um, Chris's dad was adopted. And um, so it was something that we both had a desire for, but we didn't know how it would come about in our right. life. And um, we knew that it was something we were gonna do, but just the timing was never mm -hmm. really right. And then um, a year ago today, we actually were out to dinner and decided, like, it's time. As you guys are at dinner that night, you prayed together. What was your prayer? We prayed for that, the mother of our future child. Uh, we knew that she was out there somewhere, and we knew that she needed prayer. Well. Wow. Around this time last year, a couple weeks later, December 22nd, uh, you had an appointment and you had gone in and uh, that's when Chris showed up. Yeah, that's when I met Chris and he had just taken that much more time to really check and see if I was okay, you know, not just kind of blow me off and, and, um, and it was personal, it was very personal. So. Uh, when I went to the hospital later that day, I just kept having this feeling just to call back and, and, and show thanks. So you called uh -huh. and, and you just wanted to say, I appreciate this yeah. firefighter. You didn't know each yeah. other. I didn't even know his name. I was just like, this is what happened and I'm grateful. And a few weeks later after that, I actually gotten a call from, from Chris and he was like, hey, you know, thank you for giving that compliment. We never get compliments, so it was really nice to, to receive one. And within that same week, I've actually decided to go through with adoption. Okay. And so he starts going on, um, uh, sharing with me about him and his wife's uh, story about you know adoption and why they decided to go through, and, and it just clicked. After leaving the urgent care, I felt that God's presence so heavily that I called Nicole and I said, Hey, this I felt something unbelievable. And he said, Nicole, God 
I didn't even have to, I wasn't even, I didn't have to be there. But God had me there, and I don't know why, but the presence was so strong. Like, I feel like I need to reach out to her. Mm. And uh, I was like, you can't do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> we won't. There, so we don't do that. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah, it I was like, you strange. can't do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, if it is what you say it is, if God is really has like had you there, then he'll open up a door. Mm, what a lesson. That's a faith lesson for all of us because <laughs> we want to push doors down sometimes, yeah, yeah. right? After you had made the phone call uh-huh. talking about your positive experience, you you then called to thank her, right? Tell okay. us about that phone call. Uh, well, first I called Nicole and I said, hey, this this woman has reached back out and I'm, I'm going to call her. And she said, okay, this is God's. I'm like, well, that's not a door open. I don't know what it is. <laughs> And I wanted to be obedient. I wanted to be obedient to walk through. God's going to open these doors for you. I wanted to follow through on my end. And uh, as I called her, I was just calling her to check in on her and making sure that she was okay. But more so, thank her for calling to give us kudos. Like she said, that doesn't happen very often, if ever. And uh, I knew that it meant a lot for her to be able to reach out for us and how did she know who I was or what engine I was on. Mm-hmm. Like it took a little bit of homework for her to be able to find right. out where, who I was to yeah. begin with. Earlier that week I've decided I wanted to do adoption. So then when he had started um, explaining why he took the extra time to make sure that I was okay, he uh, shared with me about him and Nicole and and uh, that they were looking into adoption. And that's when it just all clicked. Like, such a wild idea, but, you know, what do you guys think? And he's like, I'm not sure. I'd have to talk to my wife, but let me uh, talk to her about it. And uh, we ended up becoming like a group chat for a while. And (laughs) me and Nicole had an amazing friendship um, grow. Every day we would talk, and, and towards the end, she would take me to all my appointments, and mm. um, it was just such a, a beautiful thing to see, you know. And and uh, towards the end, I wanted a, a different housing arrangement to stay at, and so I was asking um, her if she knew any place that I could stay up until I was able to have have the baby. And um, it just so happens that she had been um, asking for prayers from her mentor who happens to be a good friend of another couple here at the church who wanted to do a ministry for uh, pregnant women. Mm. And um, if that's not, you know, crazy, like it just was meant to be, you know, for sure. So this mentor of yours, Mm -hmm. um, you were sharing a little bit of the story and uh, I think it's amazing how you guys bonded and and obviously decided to pursue this path, right? Mm -hmm. And then this, this mentor... Um, who, who's the person who shared Corinne. this with you? Corinne. Corinne Flippin. Mm-hmm. Kudos to Corinne. And, um, <laughs> and the Rodriguez family had had this on their hearts, mm-hmm. and they're also members of Living Truth. Mm-hmm. And so what happened after that? How did you get them connected? Um, so it was after church one Sunday, and Corinne, I ran into her, and she was asking, like, you know, how's everything going? Because at this point, we were already, like, you know, down the path. And um, I was like, great, but um, can you pray for Savannah? And we're just trying to figure out like where she can go next. And then she was like, oh, do you know the Rodriguez family? And I didn't know them at that point. And um, 
just like, oh, they want to, she has it on her heart to start a ministry for pregnant women. And um, I was like, of course. <laughs> of course she does. Like, of course you know somebody. Like, God just has this yeah. all planned. And um, so then Chris and I went over and we met the Rodriguez, uh, Cheryl and Alfredo, and then we loved them. Yes. You can't not love them. They're very lovable. Yeah, you can't not (laughs) love them. And um, so then I think it was like a couple weeks later that Savannah met met her and moved in. I got to see God work in so many different ways. Um, Got to watch my wife really support another individual, uh, pray with her, uh, be there for her, go to appointments with her. I got to watch Cheryl do the same thing. Everything, all the details just started coming together and it, it just the realization that God is in all those details. Yeah. He really is. This is, a, this is a story about God's amazing details. And, you know, sometimes we say there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. Mm-hmm. And God this definitely. was definitely a God idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a baby boy comes into the world mm-hmm. and uh, he's about, what, six months old now? Yes, he is. And um, <laughs> you guys have adopted that child now into your family. Tell mm-hmm. us um, what's his name and tell us a little bit about that experience. Um, his name's Walker. He's the love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have a son. Now you have a son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is that like for you? Just it's, thinking about it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's just to be able to care for uh, something so precious and, yeah. and, and we've, we got to experience that with our two older daughters and we're just getting to relive that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a redemption story for you as well because you had said that um, you were a person who believed in God but tell us about what's happened to your faith through this journey. It's definitely made my faith a lot stronger, you know, to, to see how God has worked in my life um, tremendously. Like, I would have never thought that a year ago this would have been my life now. And um, it's just, it's a really big blessing, you know, and, and they say that they're blessed. I'm the blessed one, you know, to be able yeah. to um, know that he's in, like, just the best family ever mm-hmm. to have you guys, to have him. and give him the life that, you know, at the time I couldn't. And Savannah, I want to applaud you for your courage on many levels. Uh, first of all, your courage to break free from a difficult situation, which, you know, people can relate to. Um, you had said that you had made your own share of bad choices as well, but you, you, you kind of had a wake-up call and you broke mm-hmm. free of that. And then the courage it took for you to give up your child to adoption because you knew that was best for him. Um, to an amazing family like this, but then to see you worshiping now at Living Truth, having rededicated your life to the Lord is amazing. And I think you're a woman of great courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're only in your mid-20s, so it's amazing that you know you, you made these decisions and you know that God had your back, but I'm sure it was tough at times. It was really tough. There's a lot of times where you know your head does become with filled with doubt, you know, like, and like Nicole mentioned before with having unanswered prayers or timing, you just, you know, why is this happening and why aren't you giving me any answers right now, um, to have patience, to have, um, trust in him, even when things get really hard, it's difficult, 
but but to do so and see something so beautiful form out of that patience yeah. is is just there's no words for it. You know, you think that you have a an idea of how you want your life planned out, and you think you have control over it. But the thing is, is God has a bigger plan for you, and uh, you just have to be obedient and just walk the life that He wants you to walk. And there's just going to be. I'm just excited to see what this is going to look like for Walker's life now. Now to see how God was working from the, I feel like since my childhood preparing us yes. for this moment, you know, you can think back on all the ways that God set up this, yes. this moment. And um, yeah, so just to, to have faith and trust during the hard times too. And to, I always say to, to look at like the miracles and the mundane, you know, there's, God's always working. Prior to learning about the adoption story that we just shared together, I had it on my heart to preach uh, Galatians 4 to you, which is all about adoption in the Bible. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. I've entitled the message, The Spirit of Adoption. Of the many pictures that the Bible paints of our uh, standing before God in Christ, one of them is adoption. And I was reading a commentary this week, and a commentator named Wilson, I think it's Todd Wilson, was talking about an international adoption that he and his wife uh, flew to Ethiopia. They adopted two boys from Ethiopia, and he was talking about what that uh, endeavor takes. It takes mountains of paperwork, it takes time, money, effort. Sometimes you gotta get through a lot of political red tape. And they flew to Ethiopia, adopted these boys, and now these boys are part of their family here in the United States. But he said, imagine if when we were flying over to Ethiopia, we took our oldest son with us. And imagine that in order to adopt these boys from Ethiopia, we'd have to give up our oldest son for them. But to take it a step further, what if our oldest son had to die that we could adopt these two Ethiopian boys. He said in the commentary, I want you to think about that because that's really what the gospel is all about. God gave his son so that we might be adopted into his forever family. We're gonna read the text together. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand for the reading of God's word. We're reading Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Paul's writing to the Galatian churches. Galatians 4, 4 reads this way. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? You can have a seat. Abba, Father, thank you for the intimacy of that, that word. We're told by theologians that it means something like Papa. And we all want to be as reverent as we can be to your holiness, and yet at the same time, Christianity tells us that we can address you as Abba, Father. That's a, a deep, profound thought, especially perhaps for those who didn't have a father or maybe their dad left or maybe they were in the foster care system much like Savannah. And the beauty that you are the father of the fatherless and that you step in where all earthly fathers fall short is amazing. And it's amazing to consider, Abba, that you sent your best the greatest Christmas gift that one could ever receive. You sent your only son on a rescue mission. And the man that penned these words was a man who received that salvation, and he was trying to do it by the law, and he realized that the law showed him how sinful he really was. He was a religious man, and yet a lost man. I pray today, Lord, as we spend a few moments in the Bible, that you would speak to us about Christmas, about adoption on a spiritual level, and about whatever else you want us to hear, and that we would respond in a way that brings you glory. I pray in Jesus' mighty and matchless name, if you agree, would you say, amen. Paul, when he starts out, he says, when the fullness of the time came. Scholars say that you could render this, when the time was just right, God sent forth his son. Some uh, who study such things say that Jesus came at the crossroads of history. I was reading Chuck Swindoll this week, and he was commenting on how some people might criticize that the arrival of Jesus was too late. After all, he could have come when Cain and Abel were fighting way back in the early chapters of Genesis or perhaps before the worldwide flood. That would have been good. Some people say Jesus came too early and he should have come in the time of mass media where we could have video footage of his miracles and perhaps even his resurrection. I mean, wouldn't that convince everybody? You know how authentic all those miracle videos are that you guys receive, right? But when Jesus came, it was an interesting time in history. In fact, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Daniel 9, if you're taking notes, verses 24 through 27, prophesied a number of years, if memory serves, 483 years, from the time of the prophecy to the time of the arrival of Messiah the Prince. Jesus came at a time when prophetically the book of Daniel had said he would come. You might remember that when Jesus was just a little boy, uh, Joseph and Mary brought him into the temple to fulfill the requirement of the law. And Simeon took Jesus into his arms. And he said now, he was waiting, the Bible says, for the consolation of Israel. If you're wanting to note this, it's Luke 2, 25 through 35. 
He was waiting, waiting for Israel to be consoled by her Savior. And when he saw Jesus, the Holy Spirit pointed out to him that that was the Messiah. And he took the baby into his arms and he said famously, now I can die in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Whenever we look into a baby's eyes, it's an amazing thing. A little walker up on the video just to see the, the preciousness in his eyes, um, the life there, the joy. And Anna followed suit and began to tell everybody in the temple that the Messiah had arrived. Uh, Israel was longing for her savior. And he came to his people, but he came for the whole world. It was the fullness of time in another sense because uh, historians tell, tell us because Rome was dominating the world at that time, the, the Roman domination had created a system of roads that interconnected a lot of major cities for ease of gospel preaching. Because of the conquest of Alexander the Great leading into about 300 BC, much of the known world was speaking what's called Koine Greek or Common Greek. When we talk about that the Bible's written in Greek, that's why. It was the dominant language of the time and it made it easier for different people groups to communicate almost like English is a language spoken all around the world. The time was just right. Four gospel writers would record the life events of Jesus, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. The epistles or letters would fill in the theological uh, things that we would need to know. The book of Acts would tell the story of the early church. And those documents have been preserved through time. And uh, those who study like manuscript evidence say they're the strongest things that we have from antiquity in terms of numbers of copies and the early dates that we have manuscripts. So they have stood the test of time. And they've continued to tell the story of a God who loved us so much that he gave his best. This is why Christmas changes everything. The Apostle Paul, when he begins to tell us about this critical moment in history, says it was the fullness of time. It's the time had come to an empty world, Christ came, to a dark, storm-tossed world. When the time had fully come, if you have an NIV, Jesus arrived. He would preach the time is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And here's what happened. God, and this is God the Father, verse four, middle of the verse, sent forth his son. He was born of a woman, born under the law. We have the time, the when. It was the fullness of time. And we have now what God did. We could call this, if you're taking notes, the provision. God the Father sent God the Son. When you look at the uh, word Christmas, although there's a little debate about the meaning of the word, Christmas actually could be rendered Christ sent. That's what Christmas means. Christ was sent. Who sent him? God the Father. God the Father, John 3, 16 and 17, famously, we all know the verse, I think you could say it with me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world that the world might be saved. Amen? It was the father who so loved us that he sent his son. It was the father that sent Jesus into the world. The, 
The idea of sent literally means he dispatched him. He said, if you will, son, it is time. It's time for you to go. And on that Bethlehem night, Jesus was born in a place that could be called the house of bread, Beit Lachem. He was the bread of life. We saw his feeding miracle recently in the book of Matthew. He came down to meet the deepest needs of our soul. Uh, John writes in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only, son, only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. If you flip back just a few pages, when Paul is opening the Galatian letter, he kind of sets the tone with these words, Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, Galatians 1, 4, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever, forevermore. Amen. And Jesus came, and he came to save. 1 John 4, 14 and 15 has it this way. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, 15 Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. God the Father sent God the Son, if you will. That's Galatians 4.4. God sent forth his Son. Last Sunday, we were together. We studied Jesus' famous miracle of walking on the water. And when Jesus did uh, a sea miracle the first time, he was in the boat sleeping on a, on a pillow and the storm came, and they woke him up, and they said, Lord, save us, and he calmed the waves. Remember that? And they asked the question, I think it's Matthew 8, 27, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? In the New King James, it said, who can this be? And then in the Matthew 14 miracle, when Jesus actually walks to them on the sea, they worship him in the boat. Remember, it's Matthew 14, 33. And they say, you are certainly God's son. They moved from a question mark, who can this be, to certainty. When you go through your storms in life, that's where God wants to move you, from question marks to certainty. Amen? He wants you to trust in God the Son. And God the Son speaks of his deity. When they said, you are the Son of God or God's Son, this is specific. It's not just uh, that he's an offspring, but he is God the Son, eternally the second person of the Holy Trinity. And again and again, Jesus says, it's the Father who sent me. This is John 6.29. John 6.29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6, 38 and 39 reads this way. Jesus speaking, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. There's a lot of verses I could give to you, but suffice it to say, it was the Father and the Son 
with the Holy Spirit working in the salvation of the world. And at a very important moment of time, God dispatched his son to come and rescue us. And notice some things about the son in Galatians 4. He was born of a woman, most scholars say. That means he was fully human, although he was, there was the miracle of the virgin birth. This is probably just speaking of his uh, humanity here, born of a woman, and he was born under the law. Two things about Jesus that you need to know. First of all, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And when you pray to your great high priest, my understanding of the Bible is that he's still fully human. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, to be denied. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to carry the weight of the world. This is Jesus. And when you cry out to the Lord Jesus, when you say, my great high priest, would you come and help me? Would you come to my aid? And he is willing to come to your aid. That's who you're praying to. One who understands fully your humanity. In fact, Hebrews 4 says he was tested or tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Jesus was born under the law, but he fulfilled the law. See, the law is not the problem. We're the problem. The law is like a light or a mirror. It reveals the true condition of our lives. You can think about the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever lusted after someone who's not your spouse? Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain from the ages of 12 to 20, dishonored your parents, maybe 12 to 25, right? The law is a light. Let's say that you had a huge hair sticking out of your face between your eyebrows, like this. And it was visible to everyone except yourself. Because when you looked at the mirror, you looked straight on and you just couldn't see it. And everybody at the office or in your family could see the hair and they were talking to one another like, has he noticed it yet? Don't you want to just give him tweezers for Christmas, right? Nope, still there. He must just look straight on in the mirror, right? And here's the thing. When this is happening, nobody wants to tell you what's on your face. Because it's embarrassing to tell somebody you got a smudge on your face or a booger in your nose or something like that. Right? Nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news or your zipper's down. That's hard sometimes. You know, it's down and you want to say it, but you kind of don't want to say it, right? So you just let them walk around and get embarrassed even more because that's Christian love. Have you ever dusted your home opened up the blinds and the light shines in and you thought your house was clean and then you see everything that, that's in the air. That's what the law does. The law exposes the true reality of our lives. And it tells me that I'm dirty. I don't meet the righteous requirements of the law, but please hear me. But Jesus did. Jesus was born under, if you will, the weight of the law. That's why Mary and Joseph show up at the temple when he's a little boy. That's why he gets baptized by uh, John. He is identifying with us, but he had come to fulfill all righteousness, amen? To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. To love God and love others the way we're supposed to, which is the essence of the law. And we all fall short of it. We can be selfish, 
self-consumed. So many things. We can create, you know, our hearts can be idol-making factories. And Jesus Christ came down to fulfill the law. He was born under its requirements, but no other person in history saved Jesus fulfilled the law. This is Romans 2.12. It reads this way. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Romans 3.19 and 20 has it this way. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. You can think of being under a weight like it's on your chest and too heavy to move off, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because the work, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 8.3 reads this way. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. If you were to walk around the streets of the Inland Empire and ask people, God forbid, if you died tonight, would you end up in heaven? A lot of people would appeal to their goodness. They would say, yeah, I think I'll be in heaven because I've been a pretty good person. And we, and we, we like to appeal to our goodness, especially if we can compare ourselves to somebody else. But that's not the biblical requirement. The biblical requirement is that you fulfill the law, that you don't break the commandments. And let's face it, each one of us have broken them more times than we'd like to admit. And if God judges us by the top 10 laws, we are in deep trouble. But many people are banking on what some have called the good person syndrome. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And you might be good, relatively speaking, but the, the bar is really to meet the top 10 laws that God has given. And Jesus, not only did he come to die on the cross for us, but he came to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. He succeeded where we failed. And that's why a lot of his ministry unfolds the way it does. That's why he goes 40 days into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil. Where Israel failed, he succeeds and he brings his righteousness to a death instrument called a cross. And there his sacrifice becomes a perfect sacrifice. He is indeed the lamb without spot or without blemish. And he offers himself to God to save us from our sins. He's treated on the cross as though he is guilty of all our collective sins, though he is completely innocent. Galatians 3.23, if you want to peek back in your Bible, puts it this way. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, Galatians 3.23, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. This has been Paul's argument all through Galatians, that justification before God comes by faith and not by works. No one's going to be saved by doing good works because we just aren't good enough. And Jesus Christ came, and the law has become our tutor to drive us to the foot of the cross. I found myself last night praying, praying over today, praying over the message. And maybe like I've never done before, I found myself just calling out to Abba. Abba. 
You know what we need, Abba. There's a lot of people hurting. Abba, would you pour out your grace in my life, Father? It's an amazing thing to be able to call God Father. Jesus Christ came, Galatians 4. He came, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, that he might, here's the why. Why did Jesus come? Some people say, oh, to to be a good example or to be a, a great moral teacher. Oh, he was those. But he came, verse 5, very important to understand that he might redeem those who were under the weight, this weight of the law. Redeem is a word that means to ransom. If you've ever watched a movie about someone getting abducted or kidnapped, Sometimes the kidnapper will ask for a ransom, and it's usually a very high price. This word for redeem is the purchase of a slave out of the slave market of sin. It's purchasing their freedom or purchasing their redemption. And we were not purchased with silver and gold from our aimless conduct inherited from our forefathers. We were purchased with what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a high price, right? That's how much God loved you. Jesus lived the perfect life for you and then died shedding his precious blood to purchase us, to buy us back from what we were under. We were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, we'll get to the adoption in a moment, but look at uh, Paul has, in verse 3, said something about what we were held in bondage under. So also we, Galatians 4, 3, while we were children, you could say while unadopted, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. If you were to rewind world history right now, I wonder how many times the same mistakes have been played over and over and over again. You know, the elemental things there, scholars say it means like earth, fire, water, um, the elements of creation, but Modern scholarship has said the elemental things points to the spirit world. It points to a uh, dimension of life that maybe many of us don't think about. We are in a spiritual battle. And our first parents had the enemy come into a beautiful garden and tempt them. He dangled the fruit, right? And Eve and Adam bit. And it sent the world into really a tragic story. We're born, we live, and we die. We're born, we live, and we die. We turn on the news, war after war, this after that, and we're like, when will mankind ever get it? When will we finally follow what's right and true? From God's perspective, how many times has he watched the same you know, film play over and over and over again and plead to us, perhaps through his spirit or other means, don't do it. But the elemental things hold us in bondage and the enemy says, oh, you, you can earn your salvation, just, just keep these rules and regulations. How many people are in bondage in religions that demand so much of them, they know it's false, they know it's a plastic smile, they know it's not generated by God, but they keep a list of do's and don'ts because someone told them that's what you gotta do to earn your way or flip it around. How many people are desperate for some sort of fulfillment? So they try this and that, and they finally get to the top of the hill only to find out they're in bondage once again. Mankind 
Is there anyone or anything that can make us truly free? Is there anyone who can rescue us from this human dilemma? And Jesus came to redeem us, notice, that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we might be adopted into God's family. He wanted not only to redeem us and save us, buy us, but he wanted us to be part of his family. Isn't that amazing? If you are a Christian, you are God's son or daughter right now. You are in Christ and blessed with every blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen? God, has, God so loved you, he adopted you. He wanted you to be his. He wanted you to be in his family. That is amazing. And because you are sons, there's a cry that comes out from this reality. We can move from the uh, theological to the experiential right here. God has sent forth the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying. What do we cry? What's our cry as adopted children? Abba, Father. We have uh, two wonderful grandchildren from Shane and Natalie, and uh, the older uh, daughter is Melody Noel. And uh, she's a beautiful little girl. And now we have Titus. And Titus is about six months old. And, you know, when you're a grandparent, the, your, your children disappear. When they come over, all, the whole focus is on the grandchildren now. So when Melody was, I don't know, six or seven months old, I was trying to get her to speak her first word. And you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to get her to say, Grandpa. Of course. How could it be anything else? And so I was saying it this way. Grandpa. And she would look at me. Who is this weird individual in my face? Grandpa. So I was filming, and I was saying it, and I cut a swarm. She went, And I showed the evidence to family members on the authority of video footage. And they went, you're crazy. <laughs> she didn't say, Grandpa. I said, yes, she did. It's forever captured. Well, now she calls me Papa. And I absolutely love it. That's what I do every time. Oh, what do you want? I'll give you the world. Just ask me. Papa. Now, when my boys, my, my beautiful wife is here, and we have our three boys all with us at Christmas, which is a blessing. When they were younger, we were watching some home videos. <laughs> and when they're, and it's, it's funny to think back to those times. And when they first called me daddy, it was very precious. And there's different levels of daddy. One could be daddy, daddy, like excited to see me. One could be daddy, 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 daddy. Cut my finger. One could be daddy, pointing at a brother. He did something. One could be daddy. They would jump off a counter and trust me to catch them, which I often just moved out of the way. <laughs> Explains quite a bit. No, just kidding. But to be called daddy is precious. And it speaks of trust. Sometimes it's excitement. Sometimes I'm hurting. And I call daddy's name. Sometimes I'm scared. And I want you to, to know something. The language of your adoption is that you can call God Abba. I don't know if you pray that way. And it doesn't have to be every time. But you can say Abba, Father. 
You know, when Jesus, there's only three times you'll see in the New Testament where Abba is used. And other than Galatians 4 and Romans 8, which we'll turn to just in a moment, it's found in Mark 14, 36. And Jesus prayed it, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he would die on the cross. Luke tells us he was feeling so much weight of what was ahead of him the next day that perhaps tiny capillaries in his skin burst and he sweat through, uh, he had blood come through his sweat glands. He was under so much pressure because he, remember, he was fully human. And he said, Abba, Father, if it's possible, remember, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want to give you something else about being an adopted son or daughter. Adopted kids of the Most High God cry like Jesus. Father, if it's possible, remove this Gethsemane moment from me, but not my will, but yours be done. You know, sometimes when you see this subjective experience, like Romans 8 will say that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We sometimes say, well, how do, how do you really know? Is that a sensation or a feeling? You'll know that the spirit of the living God lives inside of you if your desire is to do his will and not your will, even when it's tough. And in Galatians 5, Paul will say, you'll have fruits that show that the Holy Spirit lives in your life. Fruits like love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You guys know the fruits, right? It's not just about a feeling although I think the Holy Spirit will give us confirmation in our spirit, but it's about what's coming out of our lives. You see, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, but there's an expectation that we walk in good works since we say God is our Father. He's our Abba. And that's another aspect of having a Father that you want to please Him, right? You want to make Him proud. See, because you are sons... God has sent forth the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts. And this is the heart cry of believers. We cry, Father. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John Stott says, God's purpose was not only to secure our sonship by His Son, but to, to assure us of it by His Spirit. He sent his son that we might have the status of sonship. He sent his spirit that we might have the experience of it, close quote. Once we're adopted into God's family, we get a new nature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're new creations in Christ, and a new name. This is Isaiah 62, 1 through 4. Check this out. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name. Revelation 2.17 says we're gonna get a new name which only Jesus knows. I don't know what my new name is, but I hope it's something really masculine. <laughs> Michael the Strong, hopefully, even though I don't always feel strong. We have our, our grandson, his name is Titus, and Titus is a strong name, isn't it? Sometimes when I'm holding him, I just speak those words. Titus the strong, Titus the great. And he just goes, <laughs> it's fun. 
And he says, the nations will see your righteousness, all kings your glory. You'll be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said of you, to you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate, but you will be called my deliverer. My delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and to him your land will be married. Once we're adopted into God's family, we're new creations in Christ Jesus and it is a process to grow up. Some of us are in the early stages of that and we, you've become a Christian in the last year or five years and you're growing and it can be a painful process. And, you know, when you see little kids, when they're learning how to walk, you can tell that they're learning how to walk because they usually have a knot on their head, right? And like, oh, still trying to figure out this walking thing, huh? And that's okay to be in that process, to learn to trust Abba more, to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, there's another aspect of our adoption I just want to hit on really quickly. It's in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. And we'll put it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But Romans chapter 8 tells about the completion of our adoption and what it means. And it is so amazing, I have to share it with you. This is Romans 8. We begin at verse 15. Paul says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You don't have to be afraid. You've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs or co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we might also be glorified with him. Do you know that God, having adopted us into his family, now makes us co-heirs with Jesus Christ? We're forgiven by his blood. We're adopted into his family. We're born again of his Holy Spirit. And we are going to inherit, get this, everything that belongs to Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Now, if that's not mind-blowing, I don't know what is. Our future is extremely blessed and bright. And Paul's gonna go on. And he, he does say, look, Yes, the creation is, is longing for this day when we will be raised up. There's futility, verse 20, but there's hope. The creation will one day, along with us, be set free. This is Romans 8, 21. Uh, from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, Christians, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What's going to happen, brethren? It's going to conclude in the redemption of our body. These are some of the most painful moments on this planet, aren't they? The reality of our mortality. Sometimes when a child has to go in maybe for a procedure and they're young, it's hard for them to understand why you would be there as a parent and they don't understand it. And they might be saying, Daddy or Abba, you know, why? You could see the why in their eyes. And, and there's a lot of things in this life that hurt. There's a lot of groaning. But it's all going to be answered through our salvation. In fact, 
we are going to inherit everything, including new bodies. The God who saved us is going to call our bodies out of the grave one day. And we will be new and we will inherit everything that he has for us. Adoption is a big deal, isn't it? (laughs) Because once we're in God's family, he treats us as though we are true sons and daughters because we are born again to that living hope. Recently, a writer says, my 21-month-old who had just learned to say daddy had been struggling with asthma. He had an ear infection for two weeks. He coughed and sneezed continually and his nose run like a faucet. Many of us can relate. I think just about everybody I know has been sick lately. Each night when I come home, he ran to meet me at the door, smiling, coughing, nose running, yelling, daddy, daddy. I was not repulsed by his runny nose or close range sneezes in the face in the least, though he slimed my shirt. I love him deeply and enjoy his love for me. I'm reminded that though I am sick with sin, God loves me deeply and desires that I run to him as a son or a daughter crying, Abba, Father. I love to hear it, don't you? Abba, what a beautiful thing. Now, in verse seven of Galatians 4, we'll touch on it and we're done. Paul will emphasize that we are heirs. He says, Galatians 4, 7, therefore you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to fear, no longer a slave to all the elemental forces, to the demands of the law. You're free. You're no longer a slave. You're a son or a daughter. And if a son, what are you? You're an heir through God. Notice, if you're a son, you're an heir. There is a question there. How does one come out of the orphanage, quote unquote, of the world, spiritually speaking? Paul describes it. He says, you must believe. You must place your faith in Jesus Christ. You must open the most special gift of all. So kids, you guys got a a gift from Miss Tanya and Miss Susie? You got the gift? Okay. You guys ready? Let's see what's in there. Let's open it up. All the kids got a little box, I hope. Okay, Tanya, what does it say? (laughs) I need my glasses. It says, I am a child of God. Isn't that awesome? Look at that. That's so cool. I'm going to put it in my ear for later. So we're going we're gonna to take about two minutes to close here, and I'm just going to ask you a question. With the lights on, no soft music playing, and you and I looking at one another, do you know God in this way? Is God your Abba? Have you entered into a relationship through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you realized that you need him, that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God like we all have, and that Jesus Christ came to reach down the hand of love? And he wants to save you, but he is not going to save you unless you respond in faith. You must say, Lord, I believe. 
I thank you for loving me first. I don't understand everything but this one thing I know. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and I'm going to trust you for my salvation. And I'm going to ask you to let me be born again of your Holy Spirit and adopt me into your family and make me a co-heir with Christ and give me peace from the slavery of sin and all the elemental forces of this crazy world. Have you done that? This will be a wonderful time on this Christmas Eve just to say yes to the greatest gift of all. His name is Jesus, and he still saves. Would you bow your heart with me? Lord, thank you for this precious congregation. Thank you for the folks who are visiting with us today, those who are watching live stream. Thank you, Abba, for your grace. Your grace was expressed in a most poignant way through giving your son Jesus to us. That's why Christmas changes everything. And we can reflect on, if Christmas never came, this would be such a sad world. There's enough already without Jesus, if he didn't come, but you came on a rescue mission, Jesus, and we know you willingly laid down your life for us to purchase us from the slave market of sin, to buy us into your family, to sign the papers with your blood, to give us a hope and a future. I'm just going to ask you right where you are, if Jesus has not, has not been your Savior to this point, if he's not your Lord, turn away from your sin and trust in him. Just cry out. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but you might cry, Abba, save me. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Change my heart. Make me a new creation in Christ. Teach me to follow you. Maybe you've been a prodigal and you've been away. Maybe you could relate to some of Savannah's story, but you want to come back and follow the Lord. Just run back to him like the prodigal son did, and the father will have open arms of love for you. And Lord, for this precious congregation, I pray you give them a very merry and blessed Christmas. And I pray over all the needs represented in this room and all the, the things that can be heavy in the holidays. I pray that you would lighten their burdens. I pray that you would, if there's been spiritual warfare in some people's lives, that you'd lift that. I pray that you would heal those who have been fighting sickness. Pray that your mercy would wash over your people as we close in O Holy Night and we light candles together. I pray that your light will permeate every heart and every home represented in this room. And I, and I pray it in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.